Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, as we already prayed for many blessings you give us in this country. We thank you for many blessings that you give us through this church. We thank you, Lord, for the heritage that we stand on here in 2016. We recognize there is a long history of people before us who have been here even in this sanctuary, people whose names we don't know, pastors even whose names we don't know any longer. Yet it's a heritage and a trust that has been passed down through us, a faithfulness to the gospel, faithfulness to scripture. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we move forward into the future, that you really will be all to us as a church family and also as individuals, that you will be the, the consuming passion, the primary priority in everything that we do. And we pray now as we open your word together and as we also reflect on what you've done in the history of Freedom to lead us to this point, we pray that you will impress upon us the significance of your faithfulness and also of the calling that you give us as we move forward. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I have been pastoring here at Freedom's Church for nearly seven years now, and Shelley and I are very thankful uh, for Freedom's Church. We feel very blessed by, by the people here in the Freedom's family. We're very excited about all that God is doing in and through the church. And so, like I said, we're very happy to be here. We're very excited to be a part of the Freedom's family. But I have to confess to you that before I came here to Freedom's Church, I never imagined that I'd be pastoring a church that is 162 years old. As Pastor David shared earlier, we, the church was founded in 1854. And that was a long time ago. That was a very different era. That was an era, as Pastor David shared, uh, where the state of Wisconsin was only about six years old at that point. The first permanent settler in Port Washington area came to this area only about 30 years earlier. This was an era prior to uh, cars, prior to electric lights that we enjoy and take for granted. It was an era prior to, obviously, TV and radio and, and telephones. I mean, Thomas Edison, who invented the electric light bulb, he was only seven years old in 1854. So a lot has changed since then, and we have to recognize, like I said, that, that Freedoms has this long and rich heritage. And for me, as I was um, involved in churches after I came to faith in Christ in college, the churches I was involved with were generally in the range of 20, 30 years old, relatively young, especially compared to a church like Freedoms. And I kind of imagined myself pastoring a church kind of like that, you know, 20-ish, 30-ish years old, something like that. I never imagined that I would be pastoring a church that has stained glass windows and a pipe organ and a history that dates back to prior to the Civil War. But that's where we are. And like I said, we feel very blessed to be here. And also we have to recognize that here at Freedom's, this history that we have, the age that we have, the heritage that we are building on is a significant part of the uniqueness of Freedom's Church. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1. We are today in the final week of a series called Roots, in which we are examining the underlying values that nourish Freedom's vitality. And we've covered a lot of ground in this series. We started off talking about how we as a church major on the majors, especially the, uh, focusing in on the priority of the gospel, rather than getting caught up in a lot of controversies around theological issues that are not that important. We've talked about the priority we place in a relational ministry of helping people grow by investing in people's lives interpersonally. 
We've talked about how God calls us to be peacemakers who handle conflict well. We've talked about the goal that we have of making disciples and the vision we have of being a blessing to the people of our community through Christ-centered love. And today, like I said, we're focusing on one of the more obvious aspects of Freedom's Church, and that is the age of the church. Now, this last week, I was on the telephone with a woman I've never met before. She just called up the church, and we were just talking for a while, and, and she um, was asking questions about the church. And at one point, she said, you know what? You seem pretty young. How old are you? And I said, oh, I'm 37. She said, oh, so you're not that young, are you? And I said, well, well, I, I used to be younger. And in the context of the conversation, that made complete sense. I used to be younger, and that is a reality for everything and everyone. That as the years pass, we age. Things used to be younger. We used to be younger, but we are getting older. That's just the reality of life. Time passes. And for Freedons, many, many, many years have passed since our founding. And we live in a culture that frequently laments the process of getting older. But here at Freedom's Church, we have this rich, vibrant heritage that we can actually celebrate. And we can celebrate the fact that not only are we 162 years old, but on top of that, we are alive and well. We have exciting years ahead of us also. Now today we're going to be talking some about Freedom's history and heritage, but we're also going to be digging into Scripture. And I want to point us to this passage, first of all, in Philippians chapter 1, where Paul is talking about a church that is maturing and growing. We're going to be applying some of these principles to our life here at Freedom's as well. So I invite you to follow along as I read Philippians 1, beginning in verse 3. Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, when we look at this passage, especially in the context of what we're talking about today, looking at some of the values and the history of Freedom's Church, what I see here is the joy of a maturing church. This church in Philippi is a church that is growing, and Paul's heart for that church is very, very obvious. I mean, for instance, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. He says, I always pray with joy when I pray for you. He says, I have you in my heart. He says, I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. So, so the Philippian church has a very special place in Paul's heart. If you want to read more about Paul's experience in Philippi, you can read in Acts chapter 16. But just a very brief summary is that God worked through Paul in huge ways there to transform people's lives with the gospel. And I think this is a big part of why he is so excited and so passionate about the people in Philippi. And one of the marks 
of a maturing church and the joy that comes from that is that they are partnering in the gospel. In verse 5, Paul says, because of your partnership in the gospel, or the reason he's praying with joy is because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And this idea of, of partnering in the gospel that Paul's writing about is really multifaceted. On one angle, it's talking about how they are brothers and sisters in Christ. The part, word for partnership here is the Greek word koinonia, which is talking about this togetherness, this intimate fellowship that Christians can have with one another because they are part of God's family as brothers and sisters in Christ. And they've all been rescued from sin and evil and death by Jesus through the gospel. In fact, he says later on, he says that, that they all share in God's grace with me. He says, all of you, in verse 7, all of you share in God's grace with me. And so they have this togetherness in the gospel, and that's a part of the partnership is that they are brothers and sisters in Christ. But another part of this partnership is partnership in ministry. It's partnership in ministry that, that they are teammates in their ministry of sharing the gospel with others and helping people grow. For instance, over in chapter 4, verse 3, Paul's talking about a couple of women who have contended, he says, at my side for the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. And so there you see these are co-workers, partners, teammates in getting the gospel out there. And in fact, later in chapter 4, it's very clear that the Philippian church has been financially supporting Paul's missionary work. And so they are partners not only in being brothers and sisters in Christ through the gospel, they are partners in gospel ministry of helping others grow as followers of Christ. And this partnership in the gospel is a big part, I think, of what makes church life so enjoyable. I want you to look around this morning. Just take a moment. Just look at the people around you. The people around you should be teammates, partners in the gospel. Think about how different involvement at church should be involvement in a movie theater. You go to a movie theater, and you're sitting there. You're basically all over these random individuals gathered in the same spot in order to receive some sort of programming on the movie screen that the movie theater provides for you. And for some people, some people who go to the church, that's how they view church. That they are this group of random individuals who's all there, just happen to be at the same place, same time, but they're there to receive the programming that the church provides for them. If that's your perspective, whether in the movie theater or in a church, all you are are fellow spectators. But Paul says that we are partners, that we are teammates that we share together in this gospel and we have a common, uh, common mission that we are helping each other fulfill. We are to share life together and this togetherness, like I said, is a big part of what makes ministry in God's family enjoyable. Because we are doing ministry together. We are celebrating God's work in people's lives together. We are worshiping our victorious Lord together. And, and this togetherness, this joy is a big part of what makes a healthy church healthy in the first place. And these characteristics of joy and togetherness are very clear here in Philippians chapter 1. So there's a joy in this maturing church as they are partnering in the gospel. And also, as we focus in on verse 6, a joy of experiencing God-driven growth. Let me read verses 4 through 6 just for some context. Paul says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So this is talking about a maturing church is experiencing God-driven growth. And it's important to understand what this growth is all about. It's not just numerical growth. It's, it's more so the spiritual growth. This completion that it's talking about here that God is working out is, is a completion in terms of holiness, in terms of spiritual maturity, in terms of Christ-likeness. And we have to understand here that, that there is a dual responsibility in growth. That people certainly have a responsibility in, in their spiritual growth for taking the initiative to, to get God's word into their life, to be active in communing with God through prayer and, and fellowshipping with other Christians to help each other grow as iron sharpens iron. People have a responsibility in their growth. But ultimately all growth comes as a result of God's work. That's why Paul said that he who began the good work in you will carry on the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I mean, I think of First uh, Corinthians 3, verse 6, about God causing growth. It says, Paul's saying, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So God causes the growth. I think as well, just in the next chapter of Philippians, Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So we have a responsibility to work out our salvation. And that's not talking about doing good, good works to try to earn God's favor. It's talking about applying the gospel to every area of our lives with increasing faithfulness. But it still says here, we have that responsibility, but it says it's God who works in you to cause us to grow. So God's the one who is ultimately fueling and driving growth, whether in individuals or in a church. And when you look at verse 6, when Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began the good work and you will carry on the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. As Americans in a very individualistic society, our natural instinct is to apply this only to individuals. Maybe like, Joey, God's begun a good work in you. He's going to carry on the completion until the day, day of Christ Jesus. And on one hand, that is a very appropriate application. But we have to understand that this idea of God carrying on the good work that he's already begun applies not only to individuals. I think that here in Philippians 1, this could apply equally well, if not better, to a church family. I mean, look at the context of Philippians 1. The context is Paul addressing an entire church, the, the church as a whole. For instance, verse 4, he says, In all my prayers for all of you. Verse 7 is right for me to feel this way about all of you. A little bit later in verse 7, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you. He's addressing the church as a whole, not just as isolated, as separate individuals, but he's addressing the church as a unity, even in this idea of partnership in the gospel. He's not just singling out a few individuals in the congregation who are especially active in ministry. He's talking about the church's partnership with him as a whole. So I think a very strong case could be made here that when Paul is talking about God bringing to completion the good work that he began in them, that he's talking about the good work that he began in the Philippian church, that he's going to bring that to completion. Even when you look in verse 6, the good work he began in you, that you there in the original language is plural. 
In English, unless you're from the South, we don't have a plural you. In the South, they have y'all. So they have a plural. Here in the northern parts of the U.S., we don't really have a plural you. But there, this is plural. Paul isn't just addressing them as individuals. He's addressing them collectively as an entire church family. And so Paul is saying this work that he began in you as a church family, he's going to bring that to completion. I mean, this is right in line with what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. And Philippians 1 is simply an example of how Jesus is carrying that out in the church in Philippi. And so God is faithful to sovereignly work in maturing individual Christians and maturing churches. Now, moving on through this passage and talking about the joy of a maturing church, we see down in verses 9 through 11 that a maturing church will be experiencing God-driven growth and specifically in terms of abounding in fruitfulness. Look with me to verses 9 through 11. Paul says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. So this is a picture of the fruitfulness that comes about as whether individual Christians or churches are maturing in Christ's likeness, that there is an increasing amount of love for people around them and for God that they are abounding more and more knowledge and depth of insight in terms of knowledge about God and about God's will for their lives, that they're gaining discernment for what is best and how they live their lives day to day, that they are growing in purity and in blamelessness before Christ, that they're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And, and so this is all about applying the gospel to their lives and, and letting Jesus bear fruit through them. So these are pictures of the joy that comes as a church body grows and matures. Now, we are talking this morning about maturing and about growth, and we recognize frequently maturing is related to growing older. Now, it's not always a one-to-one correlation. You can have someone who is quite old, but actually is still quite immature in how they act and respond to people around them. Or you can have someone who's younger and still has a, a major degree of maturity. But we're talking about maturity, and we look at Freedon's Church. I look at the history of Freedon's Church, and we obviously, like I said, have this long history. But I see many beautiful signs of growing maturity in in Freedon's Church down through the years. I want to take some time just to look at Freedon's deep historical roots and see these signs, these indicators of God's faithfulness to the church and the growing maturity that the church has experienced through the years. So let me just take you on a whirlwind tour of the history of Freedon's Church. As we already talked about, we were founded in 1854, founded by German immigrants. Freedon's, if you were wondering, is a German word that simply means peace. We were founded originally as a Lutheran church. We were actually the first Protestant church in Port Washington. The only church that's older is St. Mary's across the hill here. They're just a couple of years older than we are. And so we were founded back in 1854, 162 years ago. Fast forward a couple decades, 1889 was when this brick structure of the sanctuary was built. And so, so it was obviously built uh, to really stand the test of time. Now fast forward again, 1920s. 
is when the church stopped conducting services in German. Like I said, the church was founded by German immigrants. German was the language of their services up until the 1920s. But you had several factors converging here. One, you had World War I, just before this, where Germany was not very popular. You have World War II coming soon after this, where Germany is not going to be very popular again. And you have changes in the culture where people are not speaking German nearly as much. So there's a change. There's a, a period of time where there's English and German services right here in the sanctuary. But then in the 1920s, they stopped conducting services in German. Now, another interesting side bit is right around this time, I think late 19-teens, there was a vote by the congregation of whether or not to have electric lights in the church. And they voted no. <laughs> Thankfully, someone since then voted yes. But, I mean, I kind of jokingly laugh sometimes that, you know, that's just how, an indicator how, you know, churches sometimes resist change. Um, maybe there are other logistical factors. Just kind of an interesting historical note uh, that they voted no to electric lights. Now, fast forward to 1957, Freedons became part of the United Church of Christ. And this was not a voluntary decision. It was through a merger of denominations. Freedons was a part of one denomination. There was a merger. They became a part of the United Church of Christ. Now, fast forward again to 1991. You see, this is the whirlwind tour. Uh, 1991, Freedons left the United Church of Christ to become an independent, non-denominational church. And this was a very intentional move. I think this is a part of our heritage that shows the value for being gospel-centered and very biblical in what we do. Let me read to you a portion of a letter that went from the church council to the congregation that was dated August 13th of 1990. Part of the letter said, as, as you should know, the church council unanimously passed a resolution recommending that Freedom's Church de-affiliate from the United Church of Christ. Concerns about our church's integrity and identity in relationship with the liberal positions and theology of the United Church of Christ have been raised over the years. The council feels that the time to act has come. So you hear the reasoning here. It was a desire to become more faithful to Scripture. Now, I'm not going to say a whole lot more about that background, except that this is one of those indicators of this rich heritage that we have, of a sign of God's faithfulness to the church and the church, church's response in wanting to maintain faithfulness to the gospel and the Scripture. And they were intentionally non-denominational, just trying to regain this sense of identity and the sense of biblical foundation. There were a lot of changes down through the years. And then came a major change here in the sanctuary in 2002. Now, insurance companies would call this either an act of God or just natural disaster. But lightning struck the steeple and started a fire in there because the, the cloth insulation on the old wiring from when they finally did install electric lights, the original cloth insulation just all went up in flames and started a fire that destroyed the inside of the sanctuary. That picture you see on the left there is this right here. In the rebuilding of the sanctuary, the sanctuary was actually flipped 180 degrees because the front used to be right back there. But now this is the front. And a number of good things came from this fire. One was unifying and really galvanizing the congregation together. But then also, it, it's part of what gives the unique feel of even our sanctuary here. Because typically when you walk into an old church building, you expect to see, you know, cracked plaster, some wear and tear on stuff. You walk in here and you know what? I mean, some stuff looks older, but other stuff looks pretty new. I mean, we have a newer audiovisual system. I mean, the paint um, and, I mean, the pews 
be thankful for padded pews now. I mean, many blessings that came from that. And this is a part of the unique atmosphere and, and feel here at Freedens. So the fire was a significant shaping influence on the feel and, and really the direction of the church. Now let's fast forward again, 2008. Freedens joined the Evangelical Free Church of America. This was a move that was a long time in coming. The previous pastor, Pastor Mark Bull, he was working with the EFCA for about a decade prior to this. But this was the, the official time when Freedens joined the EFCA. And I think this is another sign of, of God's graciousness to the church and of this commitment to being gospel-centered and biblically based because the Evangelical Free Church is very gospel-centered, very biblically based, very passionate for making disciples, very much focused on, on majoring on the majors, minoring on the minors, and providing coaching and support for churches, but at the same time allowing freedom for each church to govern its own affair, affairs. And so... So this is a part of the heritage of Freedom's Church. And I think it's important to understand where God has brought us in part because that's a part of who we are as a church. It's also interesting to see, even as we look into the future, to analyze where have we come from. There are many different aspects we can look at there, but I want to highlight one thing that is important to understand in the life of a church. That churches, as with everything else, have life cycles. Now this is a picture of a life cycle of a church. It could also be used for business or other organization. But there are these four main categories of life cycle of a church. You have the acceleration phase, which is when they are growing, they're gaining momentum. Sometimes it's just when they start out or when they make a change and, and have a newness of stuff going on. There's momentum and growing, acceleration, and then booming phase. And now, granted, um, the numbers look different in different church settings. But it's, it's partly about numbers, but it's also partly just about, you know, things are flowing smoothly. It's an exciting place to be. It's going really well. Uh, things are jiving there. But then that booming phase doesn't last forever. Inevitably, at some point, things slow down. They decelerate some. You lose the momentum. And that is a critical phase. Because if, if something doesn't happen and change in that deceleration phase, what ends up happening is the church goes down to the end of that life cycle, which is tanking, which you really don't want to be down there. Now, the average church life cycle, according to the church scholars, is about 30 years. I think in some ways because of our rate of change in our society, that's shrinking. But you think about 30 years. That's about the length of time that, that you get a leader who, in the church who's in their prime of leadership before they begin to phase out of leadership. And if leaders don't reproduce themselves, at least every 30-ish years or so, the church is going to deeply struggle. Hopefully the leadership uh, reproduction is taking place a lot more frequently than that. That's the length of time it takes for a young family, perhaps, or a young couple to come into the church to have kids, for those kids to grow up and move out. If there's not a reproduction there... I mean, literally, but then also just of, of growing. I mean, bringing new people, younger people into the church, the church is going to stagnate and die. Think about the amount of change that can take place in the surrounding culture in 30 years. I mean, this is 2016. Think of 1986. How much different our culture is now than then. Churches have to adapt in order to minister to an ever-changing culture. And if a church doesn't make changes in what they are doing and especially catch things and when it begins to decelerate they're going to end up in that place where they might still exist but it's quite stagnant it's really hard to pull a church out of that tanking type of phase now 
Let me just apply some of these things to Freedom's Church. There are certain things in the church that should never change. You should never compromise the gospel. Don't water it down even if it's not popular in the culture. You don't want to change the, the authority of Scripture and the place that Scripture takes in the church family. But there are other aspects of ministry, of how we do ministry, how we help people grow, how we get the gospel into people's lives that do change. Again, let me give you some examples from Freedom's history. I'm very thankful that there was a change at some point to install electric lights. It's probably not a make-or-break thing for the church, but it would be awfully strange to come in here without any lights, wouldn't it? Might get a few weird looks from newcomers. A bigger change, the change from German to English. Imagine if you had people back then who said, you know what, we are Germans. We've always been German. We've always spoken German. That's what we've always done, and that's what we're always going to do here. Have you ever heard of churches and, and people digging in their heels about something like that? Maybe not with language, but with other things. And where would we be today if there wasn't a shift as culture shifted and people spoke less German in the homes and in the community? Where would we be today if people insisted that Freedom's Church continue to speak German? Well, we probably wouldn't be meeting here this morning. I couldn't be pastor here. I doubt any of you could be here anyway. Those things have to change. I mean, I think about, um, imagine more recently that, that people in the church dug in their heels and said, nope, only music we're having is pipe organ. And there are churches that do that. And you know what? They can make that decision. But I will say that in general, if we are not at least cognizant and, and responsive to the fact that, that musical tastes change over time and there are different ways to worship God with different styles of music, then... We're marginalizing our ability to minister, especially to younger generations, which are crucial to the future of the church. I mean, even think about the projection system. That's not a make-or-break thing at all. That's not a huge issue on one hand, but on the other hand, it's still a significant part of our, of our ministry here at Freedens. I remember talking with a pastor a few years ago who was trying to get a projector into his sanctuary, and he was facing huge resistance because, you know what? A, a projector, it desecrates the sanctuary. It's not as, it, the sanctuary is not as sacred any longer. It, it's, the aesthetics aren't as pretty anymore. It's harder to worship God when you have, to, have a projector. It distracts people. I'm thankful we, that we aren't fighting those battles here. But you know what? Even that change of installing a projector, I'm not sure if that came in 2002 after the fire or if it was here before that. What's that? After the fire. So that was a blessing in my mind. Um, from the fire. So when you, when you look at the title of this message, it's called Roots and Wings. That, that, that phrase comes from this classic statement that says the best things parents can do for their children is to give them roots and wings. Roots are helping them be grounded in a trusting, loving family, and wings are giving them the wisdom that as they grow and gain more independence, they're able to go out on their own and make wise decisions to be a blessing to those around them. We need roots and wings as a church. We need roots, deep roots. We have historical roots. Our real roots need to be in the gospel and in the scripture. But we also need wings. We need the ability to make adaptations, changes as we move forward. The reality is if, if the average life cycle of a church is, is 30 years, we are in our sixth life cycle now. This is a testimony to the fact that people have been willing to make changes to the things that can change through the years to adapt to an ever-changing culture 
while still remaining faithful to the gospel and scripture. And as we move forward, it's important that we do the same thing. Because there's this, there's this paradigm, this, this idea in our culture sometimes it's called failure to launch. You ever heard of failure to launch? There's a movie by that same name. It's the idea of, of people after they get out of high school, maybe they go to college, maybe not. But, but at some point they get stuck in their parents' home. And they fail to launch out into the independence of life. They don't have the wings. They have roots, but not wings. And, and they just get stuck there in the parents' home. And churches can do the same type of thing, where they really fail to launch in that next life cycle of the church. They get so stuck on what's going on currently or the glory days of the past, they aren't able to adapt and make changes to continue to move into the future. Now, this is not designed to be a sermon that's really a rallying cry for let's change the church. Just to be assured, that's not really the purpose of this message. If it were, I'd probably not be giving on Memorial Day weekend when a significant percentage of our church family is traveling. That's not the purpose of this. Really what we're doing is celebrating what God's done in the past that influences us today, but also pointing to that reality that we need to be adaptable in our ministry methods as we move forward. We've already been making various changes and adaptations through the years. I mean, a few that, as I look forward, that would be important to at least consider. I mean, one is how we do outreach. In our culture, people are not that interested any longer in coming to church activities and church buildings. So for outreach, if we want to get the gospel out to people, it's important that we go to them. We have to recognize that even just sharing the gospel with people might be like a foreign language because if they don't believe that there's a God, they don't see that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. Sometimes you even have to start with establishing a foundation for belief in God. So the ways that we do outreach need to respond to the changes in the people that we are trying to reach with the gospel. Here's something else that I'm not saying it needs to change now or whatever, but it's something to at least ponder. It's even the name of Freedens. I mean, the name Freedens. If you've grown up in this church, if you've been around the Port Washington area for a long time, you just kind of take it for granted. I mean, it just, it's just what it is. But if you want an interesting exercise, talk with someone who didn't grow up in this area. See how they respond to that name. Because I've had many, many conversations with people who moved to the area, who come from solid evangelical churches who never even consider Freedens because they see that name. And to them, I mean, they don't know what that is. And they don't, they don't even think it's an evangelical church. So they don't even consider it as a possible church home. And for others, I was on a conversation on the phone call with someone from Mequon a couple of weeks ago, just leaving my name, and I'm a pastor of Freedens Church, and she was trying to write down this information. And I, I spelled the name Freedens several times, and she's like, I'm not quite getting that. What is that? She's just from just a, a few miles down the road. And so it's just something to ask. I'm not, I'm not getting on the soapbox and saying we need to change that right now, but it's something to ask. Is there a hindrance in the name or in anything else that we're doing that's pulling our ministry back, that's preventing us from being able to be as effective as possible as we move forward into the future. I think also of the fact that our culture is changing in terms of people's busyness factor. Involvement in church, whether it's Sunday mornings or during the week, is becoming less and less and less, even for committed Christians. And the question is, how do we as a church respond to that? How do we help people grow in the midst of very busy schedules? These are things that we as a church family need to have on our radar screen in order to keep moving forward and continue to have a vital ministry for years to come. 
Now, as I look at Freedom Church, as I said, I'm very thankful and blessed to be here. And it's for many of the same reasons that Paul is thankful for the Philippian church, about God's work in their lives, about the unity around the gospel, about how they are partners in making disciples, about their spiritual growth. I, I deeply, deeply love and enjoy being a part of the Freedom's family, and I'm very excited about what God's going to do here in the future. And it's kind of interesting, when you look at our history as a church, and you talk with someone about just some of the things that go on here, we have children's messages in the service, and the style of music we have, and stuff like that, and the age of the pastoral staff at 37, I'm uh, the oldest on staff at the church. I mean, you heard Pastor David just turned 30 not very long ago. Um, People might hear these things, and they might think, you know what, you are, are such a young church. On one hand, we are young in terms of, of our, our, our ministry and the vitality and excitement that's going on here. On the other hand, we have this deep, rich heritage that we want to honor as well. We want to carry forth, as, as previous generations have passed on the baton to us for the gospel and scripture, we want to carry that forth as we continue to minister in the future. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you give us the privilege of being a part of the Freedom's family. And that you give us the privilege of being a part of your family. And Lord, we pray that we will continue to carry this baton that's been passed to us. That you will bring to completion the good work that you have begun here at Freedom's Church. Lord, we pray that you continue to give us joy and togetherness in what we are doing. That we will partner with one another in the gospel. That you will grow us in purity, grow us in blamelessness as you bear fruit in and through us, Lord. And I pray that as we move into the future that you will continue again to unify us. And I pray that you'll be working in the community through us and through other churches in the area to help others come to faith and life in Christ. And Lord, we pray that as we move forward that we will not merely survive, but that we will thrive through the power of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.